0: Ready for Katie, I'll get uh, some plates, and some bowls. January fifteenth, two thousand and eighteen, we found out that my daughter had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was just absolutely devastating. You know, we felt alone. We were struggling to, to find someone in some place that we could ask for help. I had really gone into a very deep, dark hole, I felt like that it was just too much. Having to see your, your child go through that, I mean, it's just something, you know, you just never wanna think you think that you're gonna have to go through. And So it was it was extremely tough. It was very shortly after that point, the Woods Edge Cancer Care Ministry team came and prayed for us in the hospital. And what we saw from Woods Edge, just the, the complete and utter love and compassion, it saved my life. I believe it saved Kylie and Jill as well. The prayers worked, the treatments worked. At this moment in time, she is uh, cancer-free. <laughs> Watching the selfless act of others pray for us and show that kind of love, if someone could give that to me and, and my family, maybe I can give back from this experience and bring some comfort and some prayer to others. Yeah. I naturally migrated towards the cancer care ministry at Wood's Edge. When you're going through something like cancer, it's vitally important to have someone come in and take a second and say, hey, look, that, you know, we're, we're here, God is here, and he's gonna take care of everything. It completely wipes away a lot of fear. It props you up with hope and with love uh, your mom and dad said you had to, you had some really nice clear scans. Yes, but, yeah. We're so excited, thank praise you. God, yeah. Thank you, I was <laughs> relieved actually. <laughs> That's, That's, very awesome. Happy. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. In the strangest way, God gave us this event with Kylie to where we could okay. plug in and <laughs> administer to others. That, that means everything to me. Would you mind yeah. if we prayed for you before we ate tonight? Yeah, that'd be great, okay, thank great. you. Lord God, we know that you've been in control of this situation and we thank you for your healing hand. We ask that you protect her body going forward for any side effects. God, we thank you for sending your spirit to be with her through this process. We ask that you would continue to be with this family and comfort them and and guide them. In Father's name we ask, Amen. amen. Amen, thank you.
1: Great story. Great. Uh, by, by the way, uh, Mike, are you and Jill in the house, or Dan and Kathy, Either one of you families. I've got to block out the light. Stand up so I can see you. If so, maybe another service. Uh, love this story about both of them, uh, daughters uh, have struggled with cancer. Kylie's just doing great, cancer-free. Uh, that's just one of innumerable ministries in our church to help people going through tough times. And if you're going through a tough time and we don't know about it, we'd like to know about it. We'd like to reach out to you and help you. Maybe you, you would like to join in one of those ministries. Maybe you've gone through something like cancer or some other special challenge and, and could help us there. Uh, to find out more about those kind of ministries, you can go to our, web, our website, withage.org. And then go to care ministry. But uh, wonderful to see so many things like that going on. So we're going to pray together. Lord, we bow in your presence because you are our God. And you are the great I am. There is none beside you. There is no one like you. You are the sovereign, eternal, holy God of all glory And Lord, you're our father, you're our papa, you're our shepherd, you're the good shepherd. You have loved us more than we could imagine. Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes our sins whiter than snow. Lord, we bless you this morning because you're God and you're good. Lord God, we want to pray for our fellow Christ-honoring churches this weekend. Lord, we're praying for Water's Edge, our church plan down in the Houston area, their pastor Dwight Edwards, would you bless them and continue to put your hand upon them and encourage them? Lord God, our desire, our deep desire is to hear from you, to sense you, to, 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 Lord, for you to work in our lives in any way you choose. We need you. Church, let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. It's on the screens. Pray it full voice from all your heart. Pray with me now, please. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever, amen. Our passage today in Genesis 39 is the classic example in all of the Bible about sexual temptation, how to say no to sexual temptation. However, there is more to the passage than just sexual sin. In fact, sexual sin is not even the main part of the passage. It's it's part of the passage, but not the whole of the passage, not even the main part of the passage. By the way, whenever you read the Bible, let me just encourage you, always ask, what's the purpose of this passage always be asking, you know, what, what is the point of the passage? What is God saying to you through the passage? One of the reasons that I believe in preaching through books of the Bible is the basic fair is because uh, in the process of teaching these, these uh, passages, we learn how to study the scriptures together. One of the basics is this. Whenever you're reading the Bible, what's the point of this passage? What is the purpose of this passage? All right, back to the passage itself. Uh, I want to ask two questions. I want to raise two questions. One, uh, as always, what's the main purpose of the passage? But secondly, because a big part of the passage does involve sexual sin, I want to ask this passage, especially in a sex-crazed culture like the one we live in, what is God saying to you and to me about sexual sin and about sexual temptation? So those are the two parts of it. Now here's the background of the passage before I read it. It involves the life of Joseph, who was the great-grandson of Abraham that we spent several months on. So this would be about 1900 BC. This is uh, modern uh, the land that's uh, modern-day Israel, ancient Israel, called Canaan at the time. That's where Joseph is. Now, you remember that that Abraham was the the first person in the new special people, God's people, the first Jew. Uh, God chooses Abraham to start a new chosen people to work through to bring blessing to all the world. So, Abraham... Uh, in his old age, he has a miraculous son, Isaac. Decades later, uh, Isaac and his wife actually struggle with infertility also, but after a long time, they have twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Now, Jacob would have 12 sons. They didn't struggle with infertility. He had 12 sons, and uh, well, one of them did. One of his mothers did. Um, and one of those 12 sons was Joseph. So the 12 tribes of Israel came from Jacob. And one of those sons, his favorite son, unfortunately he had a favorite son, was Joseph. Now Joseph getting this special favor treatment by his dad, his other brothers understandably resented it. And they did the unthinkable. When Joseph is a teenager, they sell him into slavery, into a passing trading caravan on its way to Egypt. And they sell their own brother, their younger brother, as a slave. By the way, those of you who have a heart for human trafficking, which is a great ta- that you do, uh, this is not a new problem. We can go back as far as Genesis 39 in the Bible. Joseph was trafficked. All righty, with all of that as a background, we're going to see how Joseph responds They're being sold into slavery, sent to Egypt. And we're going to see, even more importantly, how God responds to all of this. Would you stand with me, please, as I read our passage, Genesis 39. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got a smartphone, you've got an iPad, or look on the screens, Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he kept his garment, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has wrought Among us, a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. Thank you for your patience in uh, letting me read a whole chapter. I don't normally do that, but this week I just couldn't decide what to leave out, and I wanted to include it all. Um, the flow of the passage, the first paragraph underscores one central truth, God was with Joseph. That middle section, those middle two paragraphs, is it a case study, an example of the sexual temptation. And then the third paragraph, the final paragraph, goes back to that first theme, the Lord was with Joseph. And so the first paragraph and the final paragraph, and they're both so emphatic. In fact, the first paragraph, no less than five times is it stated. Get this emphasis. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, the Lord was with him. Verse 3. The Lord caused all that he did to succeed. Verse 5, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Verse 5, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had. How could that be more emphatic? God was with Joseph. And then when you get to the five final paragraph, it is just as emphatic five more times. 21, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 21, the Lord showed him steadfast love. Verse 21, the Lord gave him favor. Verse 23, the Lord was with him. Verse 23, whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. By the way, one of the ways that the Bible languages emphasize a point is repetition. If there's something repeated twice, pay attention. Five times, twice, very emphatic. Now, keep in mind that the, the main point of this passage is that God is with Joseph. Now, those middle two past paragraphs on sexual temptation are very important, especially in a day and age that we live with so much rampant sexuality and a sex-crazed culture. And we'll get there. But the focus of the passage, emphatically, is the way God is with Joseph. Now, here's something interesting about that. Okay, God is with Joseph so strongly, but Joseph has been sold by his own brothers as a human slave and taken a thousand miles away to a strange people. He knows no one. A strange language. He doesn't understand the language. He's put in the the house of this powerful official. I mean, the Lord was with him? Listen, very important to understand that God being with you does not mean he's going to make you exempt from suffering. And so much um, misunderstanding of of what the gospel involves, what Christianity involves, uh, stumbles over this point. So many times we're going through some tough things, and, and, and we might wonder, where's God? God, how could you do this? Where's God? God is right there. And the promise of the Bible is not that he will protect you from pain and suffering. That's part of a fallen world. The promise of the Bible is that God will be with you through the suffering and see you through it. And much more than that, the promise of the Bible is that God will not only see you through that suffering, but he will take that suffering, he will take the evil that others did to you and meant to you, and he will bring good out of it for you. That is the promise of the Bible. It's amazing. The Bible says... That God, for those who love God, for those who call called His purpose, he, he, he will work all things together for good. Now think about that. Okay, just think about the problem that you're going through right now. Now, sometimes some of you think, I'm the only one. Uh, you know, just uh, let me tell you, I'm your pastor. I've been doing this for a long time. Every one of you have got a problem right now. You're not the only one. In fact, the person next to you, the left or the right, they got problems. I got problems. We all do. Some of you, you're drowning. I mean, you you don't know if you're going to survive it. At times it gets so bad. But listen, that never means that God has abandoned you. It means that God is at work in your life for good. He's doing good. the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph will say to his brothers who sold him into slavery, you meant it for evil. It was evil. But God meant it for good good he's gonna bring good out of it okay Joseph doesn't know how God's gonna do that does Joseph have any idea that after this event he's gonna end up in prison for 13 years I mean some of you've been in prison Uh, I love having ex-prisoners come to Wood's Edge Uh, 13 years unjustly in prison he has no idea what God is doing, that he's going to put him in prison, and one day he's going to interpret Pharaoh's dream, and he's going to become the prime minister of the most powerful country on the face of the earth and rescue the rest of his clan out of a famine period. He had no idea of these things. Right now, whatever problem you're going through, whatever suffering you're going through, right now, God is at work if you belong to Jesus. He is going to bring good. He's going to redeem it. And you probably won't know all all that he's going to do until you get to heaven. Now, just think about the mental disease that I tell you about from time to time. I had no idea what all God's doing and still don't. I can see some good things. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to say God was faithful every step of the way. Now, think about those two families in the video. Uh, Dan and Kathy, their daughter, um, Katie. Uh, The one still in the midst of the battle, and we pray for her on Wednesday nights. And and then there's Mike. I mean, Mike and Jill. Can you imagine a 14-year-old daughter gets diagnosed with cancer? I mean, how big is that? They don't know what all God is doing in this situation. But when they get to heaven, they're going to see God was faithful every step of the way. God was with them. God is with you. God is with you. All right, let's go back to Bible study. Here's one of the things to to think about when you're studying the Bible. Always think about the first readers. What was God saying to the first readers? Now, who were the first readers of the book of Genesis? Who was it written to? Well, you see at the end of Deuteronomy that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So this would be 1400 B.C. This would be 400 years after Joseph, 500 years after Joseph. God inspires Moses to write the account, a highly selected account, just certain stories. Why does he include this one? Because those Israelites were making their way between slavery in Egypt and the promised land, 40 years, tough years in the wilderness, and and all their suffering, they needed to know, God will be with His people, and He will see you through. God will be with you. God will be with you. But you don't ever lose sight of the fact that it's not just written to the first readers, it's written to you and me. And it is not a history story. It is a life lesson for us to obey and claim and transform our lives. And you and I this morning, we see Joseph. Now, okay, God's speaking to me. Whatever I'm going through right now, the Lord is with me. He's with me. His hand is on me. Isn't that what the Bible says? Isn't that what Psalm 23:3 says? David, who lost three kids, who, who was you know, unjustly treated by Saul and all kind of suffering— Didn't he say in Psalm 23.3 that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me? Christian, how can we say, where is God? He is right there with you. Now, my, my grandchild is scared and she grabs my hand. She's okay. She's all right. She's no longer scared on me right there. I'm right there with her. If I grab God's hand, I know he's right there with me. I can be okay. Grab his hand, whatever you're going through. Grab it. He's right there. Jesus in the New Testament underscores the same point, Matthew 28, 20. I will be with you always, in case you don't get it, to the end of the age. I will be with you always. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you can never be apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, more real than any physical person right by you. In you, in front of you, behind you, above you, below you, right there. In fact, Hebrews 11:13:5 13, 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, this is the theme of the Bible over and over. And if Joseph could trust God when he didn't understand what was going on, Christian we can trust God. Joseph didn't even have a Bible. He was written 500 years. The Bible was written it started being written 500 years after him. I not only have Genesis through Deuteronomy, I've got the book of Psalms. i got Psalm 23. i got the prophets. i got the Gospels. i got the book of Romans and the shed blood of Jesus that has covered all of my sin. I've got the cross and the Spirit of God inside me. If Joseph can trust God. Christian, you and I can trust God in our suffering. Can we not? We're not going to be practical atheists, acting as if we don't believe in God at all. We're going to trust Him. We're going to grab His hand, and we're going to trust Him. righty. the point of our passage. First five verses, last five verses. Five times each. I don't know what that means. It means means don't miss this point. That's what it means. All righty. Point of the passage. In our suffering, I will be with you. I will be with you. Hear it. Hear it. Hear God's voice. By the way, we got a great tech team. They'll get that turned off real soon. <laughs> Pressure. All right. Now, the, that's the main point, but... There are these two central paragraphs, and and they kind of get our attention in verse six when it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now keep in mind, Potiphar is like the head of the Egyptian KGB. He's the captain of the palace guard, they were the king's executioners. I mean, this was the powerful nation. Potiphar was big stuff, and he's a household servant. Can you imagine that God's hand was on Joseph so strongly that he takes this Hebrew foreigner, teenager, and makes him in charge of everything? I mean, how clearly was God's hand upon him? Thank you, Tech Team. Um, I mean, God's hand was on him big time. Uh, just because he's suffering doesn't mean God's hand's not on him. Just because you're suffering doesn't mean God's hand's not on you. God's at work. Bring good. All right. Um, he's in this household. He's handsome, in form and appearance, and the wife of Potiphar tries to seduce him. In fact, she repeatedly tries to get him to sleep with her. She's not subtle about it, direct approach. Now, you might think, well, boy, did they do that back then? Yes, they did that back then. Um, <laughs> in fact, Egyptian culture was known as very promiscuous, a lot of sexual sin. There's um, a place of adultery and unchastity across that, so no big deal. I mean, I mean, it's a big deal, but no surprise, no surprise. All righty, now Joseph, when she um, uh, approaches him, he... He is already decided that that's not an option. I mean, he just immediately refused. And we should be clear. He wasn't like a mummy that didn't have any sexual desires. He's a young man. He's, he's unmarried. He's far from home. I mean, he could rationalize this and, you know, just say, you know, look what God's done to me. And, and uh, nobody will know. And, you know, he, he says, I'm a slave here and I can't help, you know. He couldn't rationalize that. Wimpy Christians rationalize sin. And I hate to admit it that all of us at times are wimpy Christians. And we rationalize sin. But we don't have to. We don't have to. He had already decided, probably seeing her character, that is not an option. That's not an option. And he responds in verse 8. But Joseph refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you're his wife. Then get this, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And he has been through all kind of suffering that God's allowed. But yet he knows that it wasn't God that did it. It was his brothers. He doesn't confuse the unfairness and cruelty of life with God. God's not unfair. God's good. Life is unfair. People can be cruel. God is good. Christian, don't buy the the lie of Satan that God's unfair. How could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The main reason he says no. There are several reasons, no doubt. The main reason... Is simply this, because of his devotion to God, because the fire of love and loyalty and devotion to God is burning brightly. Is the fire of devotion and love and loyalty to God burning in your heart too? There is far more reason for it too, because you live on this side of the cross and you see the bloodshed cross of Jesus and you see all that God's done for you throughout the Bible. Far more reason. Okay, Church. We live in a, a sin-ridden, sex-ridden, sin-ridden world. I mean, it's so rife. I mean, the stats on pornography alone, atrocious, sexual sin. I mean, uh, if I hear another Christian couple sleeping together for a marriage, you know, what am I, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's just pitiful, uh, justifying. I mean, our society, the church in America, is being just conformed to the world. And let me tell you, Satan is a liar. This is ruining people's lives, and souls, and it's messing up married couples' sexual relationships for the next forty years. It didn't have to get healing, get forgiveness. Didn't have to, but it's a lie. It's causing divorces and family fragmentation. And you and I need to recognize that's a lie. And your kids need to know it's a lie. And they need to know that Hollywood lies. I mean, I enjoy movies and TVs, but I know they lie. It's all a society. It's not just Hollywood TV and movies. And that right here is the word of the living God. And your kids need to know that. And the reason they're going to know that is because you love this book and you read it and you obey it. They're going to see it in your life. God wants to protect us from ruining ourselves with sexual sin of all kinds. Sexual sin uh, includes any s- sex outside of marriage, between a man and a woman, anything else. It includes Internet pornography and all kind of other stuff. And God is saying to us, don't hurt yourself. You are destroying people and lives and your own soul he's doing it for your good he's doing it for your good notice joseph what he says about it. he says how could i do this great wickedness you know what hollywood will call it an affair a fling you know uh just you know something try to make it look good it is a great wickedness Against God. Every time you and I sin against God, including sexual sin, every time you and I sin, including sexual sin, but any other kind of sin, it's like you're shaking your fist at God. Don't kid yourself. That's sin. And it's rebellion against God. righty, Church, we learn in this passage, we can say no to sin of any kind. I mean, we who've got the Holy Spirit in us, we who've got the living, risen resurrected Christ within us are you kidding me if Joseph could say no I can say no he didn't have the risen Christ in him and know all that we know one of the lies of Satan is that you gotta you gotta sin can't help yourself it's the way your family was that's the way you raised up that's the way everybody else around you done what a lie to ruin your soul you can say no By God's power, by God's grace, because Jesus Christ has forgiven us of all our sin and every one of us. we got sin. Nobody's pointing fingers at anybody here. We've all sinned, but the blood of Jesus has washed my sin whiter than snow. And he's in me, and I want to obey him because of his great love and salvation for me. That's why. That's why. Because he's accepted me, and he loves me. We can't say no. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. You're not the only one. It's common. And God is faithful, who would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape, also that you may be able to endure it. You can say no to sin. You can. Don't listen to Satan's lie out to ruin you and your family and your loved ones. All right. Potiphar's wife uh, makes this uh, sexual uh, 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 overture. And she can't believe he says no. I mean, he's just a slave. He's just a you know, young guy. And, and so she keeps persisting. Verse 10, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Church, don't listen to the lies of Satan. Don't play around with sin. Don't mess around. Don't toy with it. You know, Notice that the text says he wouldn't listen to her or even be with her. I, I, I mean... He was a slave, so he couldn't you know, take himself out of the house and go to another, be a slave in another house. He couldn't do that, but he could avoid her, and that's what he did. He said he, 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 he did his best to avoid her. When it comes to sin and vulnerabilities, don't put yourself in vulnerable situations. Get out of there. And she comes to him and, and uh, grabs him one day, and, and he just flees. You know what 1 Corinthians 6.18 says about sexual sin? It says flee immorality. Just flee. Just get out of there. There's a time to get out of there. And that's what he did. Avoid tempting situations. All righty. Verse 11. Oh, we already did that one. All right. Okay. Joseph obeys the Lord. Says no steadfastly. What happens to him? Well, he's thrown in prison. It wasn't a bribe. You obey God and he will bless you. No, I will obey God no matter what. Because he's good. Because of a blood-stained cross. Because it is best for my soul. God's always good. I will obey God no matter what. He had 13 more years of imprisonment. But God was at work. He was at work bringing good, just as he's at work in your life and in my life. The pains that we're going through, he's at work. C.S. Lewis put it best, perhaps, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. Listen up. What's God saying to you these days in your sufferings and in your challenges? Alrighty, the final paragraph goes right back to that first paragraph and underscores, even though he's in prison, you know, he got unjustly put, he didn't do anything wrong, everything right, he was loyal to his master, he gets thrown in prison. By the way, uh, if we had more time to unpack this, Potiphar knew that his wife was lying, knew he couldn't trust her, he would have had him executed, I mean, he was like, you know, bad news, but he, he knew better, he puts him in prison, had to get rid of him, and uh the emphasis, those last five sentences, again, God is with Joseph. He blesses Joseph. His favor is on Joseph. And, and can you believe that the prison official makes Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and everything in the prison? God's hand was on him. Now, this is what I think of Joseph might have been a brilliant, gifted person and was great with words, he might have had a lot of gifts. But the text doesn't say a word about that. He didn't, he wasn't put at the top of Potiphar's house and the top of the prison because he was just so, uh, that dadgum brilliant. It was because God's hand was on him. Now look, I love pastoring here in the Woodlands area, Spring Woodlands area. And there's lots of gifted, smart people out here. A lot of you make a lot of money. Never get the wrong impression That's because you're so smart. It ain't. It's because God has been good to you. And Besides, even if God has used your smartness or something, um, where'd that come from? 1 <laughs> Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, what do you have that you have not received? That'd be about a zero. I did not create me one thing. If there's anything good in your life, it is a gift of God. Why wouldn't we want to obey Him with our whole life? Why wouldn't we? Because every good thing I've ever experienced or will experience is a gift of my God. Why wouldn't I? All right, church, what are we seeing this morning? First of all, we've seen that middle section about sexual temptation. We've seen that we can say no. We've seen that... Um, that um, call it what it is, it's not a fair, it's a a great wickedness against God, pre-decide, that's out, and I'm talking about internet pornography too, and any other sin. I'm talking about if, if you always are losing your temper with your kids, you can say no to that. By the power of the risen Christ, you can say no to gossip, anger, unforgiveness, sexual sin, any other sin. You can. Do it. And it is for your good, and it is because of your devotion to Jesus that we want to. Not to earn favor, but because he's already put his favor upon us. We want to please him. We want to please him. And then here's the big thing. First and last paragraphs, emphatically, is that whatever we're going through now, whatever pain, whatever problem, whatever suffering that you're going through, God is at work in your life for good. He's going to bring good. And he is right there with you. The Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord is with you. Stand with me, please. Friend, if you're in the room, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, this is your time. This is your time. Let me tell you, uh, you wouldn't come to a room like this that teaches the Bible and has God present if it wasn't that God was drawing you. And I'd encourage you, don't put it off any longer. Just get found. I mean, just go ahead and let go. Receive him. Jesus, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. For all of us who have already done that, most of us have done that, then, church, life is found in obeying our God, devotion to him who is the source of every good thing you've ever experienced. Shut your ears to the society's lies. Follow God's voice right here. Lord, bless these, your people. Lord, protect us. Help us, Lord God, to to know the freedom that comes in obedience to Jesus. May our kids know it. May our families know it. May our community know it. Amen. Now, church, uh, when it comes to communion, uh, we're reminded again, the whole motivation for obeying God in anything And that is the blood of Jesus that washes our sins whiter than snow. What can wash your sins away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So make your way to a communion table. Receive communion as a symbol that you've received the Lord in gratitude.